0: Well, good morning, church family. It's wonderful to see you here on this beautiful summer's day. And uh, it's great to worship together, isn't it? Uh, let's just uh, pray together before we open uh, this portion of Scripture and uh, conclude our series on the heroes of the faith and the, and the life of Abraham. So let's just, um, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we uh, do thank you for your amazing love and your amazing grace towards us through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this morning as we open uh, your word together, we pray that uh, the distractions of uh, the world, the distractions of our circumstances uh, won't impact on uh, the proclamation of your word. Guide us by your spirit, we pray. Teach us, exhort us, rebuke us, and refine us. Uh, And we ask these things now in the powerful name of Christ, our risen Saviour. Amen. I said, this will be the last time we'll uh, look at the life of Abraham at the moment. Uh, And next week, we're going to start a a series in the letter of Philippians. So I've got a bit of a challenge for you. Okay, I'll, I'll reiterate this challenge. So between now and the time we meet next Sunday... In your homes, grab open the letter of Philippians and read through it. It's only four chapters, take about 15 minutes. Because, uh, the greater challenge is going to be, I want you to do that at least 20 times in the next eight weeks. And uh, let's just become really familiar with that letter. So uh, will you take up that challenge? Good on you. And what we're going to do is we're going to provide for you uh, next week a, a little journal uh, with the text and with uh, the sermon outlines, etc., and that will be for you, uh, with you for the for the series. So the most important thing then will be to put your name on the journal, uh, so you know whose is whose. But uh, we'll I'll do that for you next week. So as I said, this is the, um, the the final one on the life of Abraham as a hero of the faith. Uh, we could have gone on a lot longer. We could have done a lot more. Uh, in-depth study on this, but I hope it's been a blessing to you as you've considered this hero of the faith. We come to Genesis 22, and many years had passed, and the great promises given by God to Abraham of land, of people, and blessing have been given. Since Abraham had left uh, the era of the Chaldeans, we see through his story that at times he had sinned. He had sinned by running to Egypt and lying to Pharaoh in chapter 12. He repeated the same sin with Abimelech. A few Sundays ago, we we saw that him and Sarai ran ahead of God's plan, and he slept with Hagar and uh, had a child. However, in spite of all these experiences, Abraham had established throughout the land a reputation as a devoted man and devoted man of God. His journey of faith had earned the respect of those who heard of him and lived by him. Abraham had erected altars throughout the land, throughout a pagan land to worship Yahweh and to call upon the name of the Lord in a response to the promises that have been given to him. And as you look at the life of Abraham, you can see he has come a long way in his journey of faith. Not just in distance, but in his relationship with God. He has some momentous mountaintop experiences of faith and also some deep, dark valley experiences. And I think we can all recognise that in our own lives, right? That's why God's word is so impactful and so powerful, because it speaks to, to us in the same way. Throughout the story, we have seen the landmark statements and restatements by God of the promises is given to Abraham first, when he stepped foot in the land, second, when he was under the stars. Remember, he's under the stars, he, he believed the Lord, third, when he saw the fiery presence of God pass between the carcasses, fourth, when he heard the, the new names of Father of a Multitude, Princess, and Laughter, and he inaugurated circumcision as a sign of the promise. And finally, in chapter 21, she won't cover today we see Abraham and Sarah holding baby laughter, holding Isaac, the child of promise. He had left his comfortable lifestyle on earth and followed wherever God had led him. He faithfully represented the one true God in every situation, even in his failures. And I said in chapter 21, we 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 see the the promised son born, Isaac. And then towards the end of chapter 21, Abraham makes a, a covenant with Abimelech, who is the king of the Philistines. And if you know anything of your geography, the Philistines were in the land, when Abraham was in the land. And he made a peace covenant with Abimelech. They had a bit of a squabble over about, about a well about who had built the well and who could use the well. And they sorted that out. And if you turn to the end of chapter 21, you see uh, verse 32. So they, which is Abimelech and Abraham, made made a covenant at Bathsheba. Then Abimelech and uh, Pichol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a ta- Tamarish tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham so many days in the land of the Philistines. I think this is really significant in the life of Abraham and his journey. He's made this covenant of peace, he has Isaac who is the promised seed born and what name does he use of God? He calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. El Olam. This name of everlasting God or some versions will say enduring God tells us a lot about Abraham's view of God. This name signifies stability. It signifies security. And it signifies permanence. And I think that's the way Abraham was Experiencing God, and that's how he felt about this relationship with God, this covenant relationship with God. It was a place of stability, a place of security, and a place of permanence. And you'd almost say this is the absolute pinnacle of walking with God. He's living in peace, things are good his faith is strong the blessings are being realised and he asks the question so what next and we read that at the start of verse 22 and I think the announcement in 22 sort of cushions us a little bit from the shock of what follows right Can you imagine if you read the story for the first time and you didn't know that it was a test? See, the narrator here tells us, and after these things, so after the birth of Isaac, after the peace treaty with the Philistines, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. You see, knowing that this is a test sort of alerts us to the truth that growth in faith involves testing. Your growth in faith, your growth in your Christian walk at times will involve testing. Testing. But it can come in the frame of many different tests. Because what God does through these tests, he stretches and grows our faith. And tests aren't easy. We see some time had passed between the end of chapter 21 and chapter 22. And we read a little bit later in this story that Isaac was old enough to, to walk three days and to carry wood for his father. We're not, the text does not tell us how old Isaac was, but I think we could speculate a little bit that he was probably about 14 to 16 years old. That's how old Isaac was which would make Abraham roughly 114 to 116 years old. And notice here that the narrator states that God is testing Abraham. Abraham does not know this. This is a footnote for us so we can see that this is a test. Abraham doesn't know it. God hasn't cried out to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm now going to test you. The straight text tells us Abraham, God is calling out to Abraham and he said, here am I. And then we have the commands. Take your son, go and offer your son as a burnt offering. Can you imagine that? It's unimaginable to me. God hasn't spoken to Abraham for some time, and then we have this command: to take, to go, and to offer your son. It reminds me of earlier in the story we have the command of the Lord to Abraham in Genesis twelve to to go, and in a sense that was to offer up his past, offer up his. Past country of Ur and his, and his family and his father's house, and received the promises of the Lord's rich blessings. But in this particular story, the Lord commands Abraham to go, but now to offer up his future. Offer up your son, your, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. The stakes are raised when it comes to the journey of faith here. Abraham really has to rely upon the Lord, even though the Lord seems to go back on his promises. It's a really perplexing command, right? Let's be really honest about this. This is, this is a perplexing command. That's why I've titled the thing, Faith Faces the Perplexity of God. You know, how could God ask Abraham to kill his son? It was in Egypt that uh, human life was cheap. But remember, these first five books of the Old Testament were given to Moses. Why? Because we have... God's people who had been enslaved for 400 years knew nothing about their God. So we have the creation account followed by the genealogies of how the nation was formed. So we have this generation standing on the edge of the promised land about to go into the promised land after 400 years and, and we have the the five books given to Moses to instruct and teach these people. So they knew that, that killing of, of children was not right. There was instructions given to Noah. In Genesis 9:6: whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall not that person's blood be shed. He commanded Israel at Sinai. You shall not murder. Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 13. He had warned Israel and Canaan not to imitate the Canaanites in burning their children to their pagan gods. Deuteronomy chapter 12, 29 to 31, or Leviticus 18, 21. So how could God contradict his own laws? by saying, offer up your son as a burnt offering. And you think about Abraham, this command must have been even more abhorrent for Isaac was the son of promise. He was the son of the promise of God. He was a miracle, right? He was 100, Sarah was 90. There's no way they could conceive naturally this Boy was a miracle as a sign of the promise of God and a sign that nothing was impossible for God. And this is the tension of the story. And we'll see as we go through the story that this tension is solved as we see Abraham's faith on display. So what's Abraham's response? It's one of obedience. He rose early in the morning. Verse 3 tells us this. He saddled his donkey, he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. There's no delay in this response. No delay as they head off to the land of Moriah, to the mountain that God will show him. Do you know where the land of Moriah is? They're a little bit south of this, though they've travelled north. This will become the site of the city of David. David. Of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on the top of Mount Moriah. Can you see the significance in that? I hope you can. Can you imagine how difficult the three day journey was? <laughs> Who knew about what God had commanded? Abraham. Who knew? Only Abraham, right? He's got Isaac with him and he's got two young men with him and only he knew what the purpose of this journey was. There's no one he could share his questions in pain with. But the wonderful thing is, through this journey, we have an indication of Abraham's faith. First in verse 5, they on the third day they had arrived. They lifted their eyes to the mountain and they saw the place afar off. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. It's an amazing statement of faith, isn't it? We will come again to you. We go down to verse 8. I mean, Isaac has this question about hey, we've got all the materials, we're prepared for the burnt offering, we've got the wood, and we've, we, we've uh, got the fire. But what about the lamb? Abraham's response, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Point number two. We can see the faith of Abraham. And this is where this tension of the perplexity of God and asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, how we see it resolved because of the faith of Abraham. I turn over to Hebrews 11 because this is even more helpful in understanding this. So Hebrews 11, you know about Hebrews 11, right? It's the, the great hall of faith, if you like. Hebrews 11 starts off with, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then it lists a whole lot of Old and New Testament saints who walked by faith. And Abraham and Sarah are part of this hall of faith. It starts down in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And towards the end of the account of this, and verse 17 of Hebrews 11, we have these wonderful words. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, directly referring to this account in Genesis 22, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So it shows another aspect of the faith of Abraham. Not only will we return, not only will God provide a lamb, but even if Isaac is killed, God will raise him from the dead. Oh, how Abraham's faith is growing. Oh, how his faith is growing. And in that whole statement that God will provide. What Abraham is doing is he's referring back to Isaac that God is the one who's going to answer the question. Abraham does not deceive Isaac in his answer but simply opens up the possibility that God will provide. In many ways, Abraham here throws the ball back into God's court. He will provide. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because we see, once the answer is given, that they both continue in the journey. And they get to the place... Verse 9, they build the altar, they lay the wood in order, he binds Isaac. So there's willing participants on both sides, right? We've got a, a young man, 14 to 16 years old, he's not disobeying his father in this matter. What was going through his mind? He'd seen burnt offerings before. What was going through his mind? He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Wow. Once again, the scene is incredible. How does the scene correlate with the loving kindness of God. And then we have this wonderful response, a divine response. First, with the divine intervention. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. This is the third time in the story we have this here am I statement about Abraham being around. (coughs) And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. There is a divine intervention And I'm so thankful for that. Because I solves the tension of what has gone on before. <laughs> the test was passed. And Abraham, in great faith, had followed every instruction that God had provided to him, even though he did not understand it, he knew God would provide And we see that because in the next part, we have the divine provision. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. Abraham had earlier responded that God would provide a a lamb. And God has provided a lamb. No wonder Abraham called this place Jehovah-Jireh. Remember that old song we used to sing? I won't sing it for you because you probably have realized it's not a talent I have. So I'll just quote the words, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, your grace is sufficient for me. Right? Jehovah Jireh is the name that is used here to describe the Lord will provide. That is Jehovah Jireh. And it's interesting. The narrator here adds also that even the day of Israel, which was when they were gathered at the border when they first heard these stories, that um, the saying on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You see, the main issue and point of the story for Israel is that the Lord provides a lamb for a burnt offering so that Isaac and with him Israel may live. That's the point. Some will go down the track and say this is a major uh, sort of type of Christ event. That's not what the text teaches. Why? Why? because a ram had to be provided for Isaac. Isaac wasn't a substitute for anybody. Okay? But we know that Christ is a substitute for all. You know, when the Israelites first heard this story, what have they just experienced 40 years earlier? What have they just experienced? They come out of the land of Egypt, right? What was instituted? A Passover. The Passover feast. Moses prescribed that the Israelites were to take a lamb without blemish, a year old, and they shall slaughter it at twilight. They take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. Exodus 12, 5-7 to seven has that. And that night the Lord struck down all the firstborn In the land of Egypt, but he passed over the houses and the doorposts that were covered with the blood. So, in essence, those houses were were saved by the blood of the lamb. A lamb died in that case at Passover instead of the firstborn in Israel. And later in Israel's history, you'll see the tabernacle and the temple carry a similar message. God instructed Israel to offer to him a burnt offering, two male lambs a year old without blemish, daily and a regular offering. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Numbers 28, 3-4 to four tells us then. 28, 3-4, to four, a lamb died so that Israel could live. So just like the Passover, a lamb died so the firstborn in Israel could live. In the tabernacle and the temple, a lamb died so that Israel could live. And then we go to the wonderful proclamation in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His only son. God made the supreme sacrifice which he prevented Abraham from making. He gave his only son in order to save this world and his people. See, in the New Testament, the Lord provides a sacrificial lamb so that his people may live. The Lamb is Jesus Christ, as we know. John the Baptist, how did he introduce Jesus to the world? In John 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus himself proclaims that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark 10.45, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who died for the sins of God's people. Have you trusted and believed that? Because that's the important question, right? God is the God who provides. God provides a way for us as sinners to be restored. Through the sacrifice of his son, his only son. So back to Genesis twenty two, and we have in verse um, fifteen through eighteen a divine. Oath that is given. Let's just read this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of its enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the 35th and last time that the Lord speaks to Abraham. It's a monumentous announcement. The Lord begins it with the only divine oath In Genesis. Why do you say that? As you look at the text here, it says, By myself I have sworn. That's what God says in verse 16. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. This says the Lord is a formula often used in the, in the prophets to mark a prophetic oracle as the very word of God. The Lord's promises here are framed by references to Abraham's obedience, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, because you have obeyed my voice. But all the promises first made to Abraham declares decades earlier are now guaranteed. By the Lord unreservedly. And it's interesting as he reiterates this promise for the final time, he makes it even more emphatic. You know, earlier he talked about the numerous stars of the heaven, and now he adds to that the sand that is on the seashore. That's a lot, all right? Has anyone ever sat in the middle of the seashore and picked up sand and played with it? Try to count the grains of sand? We've got an 18-month-old. We bought him a bucket and spade for Christmas. It's just delightful to watch him play with the sand. When he becomes two, I'll ask him to count the grains. And you'll find that it's an impossible task. The Lord had promised to give the land of the Canaanites to Abraham's seed. Now the Lord adds, and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. So he adds to the promise. The Lord had promised in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed and now the Lord promises through your offspring, through your seed, all the nations on earth will be blessed. The seed that was, first of all Isaac became Jacob and then Joseph and then Joseph was a blessing to the nations, right? They had major famine in the land and these folks would have known that and We read later in Genesis that the whole world came to Joseph and Egypt to buy grain. (laughs) But ultimately, the seed is Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, as Matthew 1.1 tells us, through whom all the nations would be blessed. Because why? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus sent his followers out, to make disciples of all nations. So God has provided his own son as a sacrificial lamb so that us, the people around the world, might live. And as we look at this story, we see that just like Israel... People today sometimes wonder, can we really trust God to provide for our redemption? Shouldn't we be sort of putting a bit of the skin in the game? Shouldn't we be working for it ourselves? And that's not the way it is. It's by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God. I think Paul responds for us in a wonderful way in Romans 8 to give us great encouragement in the world in which we live, especially when it comes to God providing security in our redemption. Romans 8, verse 16. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not for him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us who will separate us from the love of Christ, or hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 31 to 39. The God who forbids child sacrifice, the God who stopped Abraham from offering his only son, is the God who loved us so much that he offered up his one and only son. And now nothing at all can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing at all no matter how difficult your circumstances, we can fully trust God for our salvation. We are secure in his hand. God provided a ram so that Isaac and Israel could live. He provided his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but has eternal life. God is the one who provides. Be encouraged by that now invite the music team to come up and we'll sing our final song together, which is really a bit of an anthem of the series that we've uh, shared. I'll read the first two verses for you as they come up. By faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design. In the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight. By faith our fathers roam the earth with the power of his promise in their Hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. And we stand as children of the promise.